something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, everybody. I'm Robert Evans, and this is Once Again Behind the Bastards, the show where we tell you everything you don't know about the very worst people in all of history. There was just a loud beep in the room. Sophie looks scared. Is everything okay? Everything's okay. I'm sorry, uh, I had a nuclear device. Oh, you, you need to leave those outside. Uh, the guy with the nuke is Andy Beckerman, <laughs> our guest for today. Andy, how are you doing? I'm uh, as good as anyone can be in this uh, soupy nightmare we live in. Soupy is a good way to describe it. Now, Andy, I'm going to apologize right now because we talked about what I was going to plug for you, and then there was that beep, and it flew out of my mind. So why don't you plug the thing that, that, that we were what, – what's the thing? Why, I am a co-host of the there we go. wonderful Couples Therapy podcast. stand-up show and podcast here on the How Stuff Works Network, Couples Therapy, where we have stand-ups who are lovers or best friends or siblings do sets together about their relationship. And then on the podcast, we bring the best sets to you. And your co-host, and that is Naomi Ekperigan. Yeah, from uh, uh, your episode, you yes. did about all the fringe Nazis. Yeah, the, the non-Nazi pieces of shit behind Hitler. She was wonderful. And I'm excited to talk with you today. Uh, sure, today. if I can push past the rage into uh, comedy. <sighs> well, it, the good thing about today <laughs> is that it'll be a rage that's different from the rage that you're feeling about everything in the news. I don't think so. I have a personal stake in this story, I believe. Well... Yeah, but like, okay. So we're this is the day after the Kavanaugh hearing. Yeah. So so everybody's pretty angry, and this is a thing to be angry about that's involves a lot of the same people, but is slightly in the past. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. Sure. I believe when all this was going on, I was watching Transformers in my, you know, 
babysitter's living room. Yeah, yeah. We are, we're talking about a story from the 80s, the story of the Reagans and the AIDS crisis. Um, and the death of Optimus Prime. Yeah, well, that is going to play a, a role here. So, yeah, uh, we did, when I started reaching this, I expected it was going to be a, a pretty straightforward episode about how homophobia and religious fundamentalism in the halls of American power led to an executive branch that fiddled while thousands of gay people died of a horrible disease. The story I uncovered was that, but also somehow even more offensive than that. Uh, it, it was somehow more frustrating than the story I thought I was going to be telling. So great, I, yeah. I guess oh, what I'm, I'm saying ready to is, go on this yeah. roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, roller it's... coaster from nothing but trouble. Yeah, you know the one that grinds you up into bones. Oh yeah, the Dan yeah. Aykroyd movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly what we're going to do today. Uh, it's the murder coaster. Yeah, <laughs> from nothing but trouble. Uh, it's the opposite of self care. That's today. So let's let's get into it. Uh, first, I'd like to start with like, wh- what do you know about Reagan's response to the AIDS epidemic? I know that he uh, ignored it for as long as possible. Okay. Uh, that they labeled it grids at first uh, so that they could kind of cordon off every everyone who had AIDS at the, or, you know, HIV. Did they even, was there any kind of scientific connection? I remember the yeah, last time. Yeah, no, I, no, no. It seems like it started, like that was just the doctors giving it their best name because it wasn't that much later that they were like, no, no, actually... AIDS is a better thing to call it, and like they can't like, but it it accrued other nicknames around the time um, that were even more offensive. So like Grids was probably the most palatable nickname that it got before it started being called AIDS. Yeah, but um, yeah, it was pretty. It's a pretty frustrating story. It was definitely uh, yeah. I mean, let's just get into it. Um, I've got it all <laughs> broken down here from time. Uh, or by time. So 1978 is the first year that gay men in Western countries, Sweden and the United States, were the, the first countries where Westerners started to get sick with what would become known as AIDS. Uh, in 1980, when Ronald Reagan beat Jimmy Carter, uh, only about a couple of dozen Americans, less than 30, had perished. Quote, unquote, beat Jimmy Carter? Well... Wasn't there some, like... I mean, he did, but, like... The whole October surprise BS. Yeah, there was a lot of shadiness that was done during the election, some of which we're going to get into well, uh, in a little bit. Well, but it was a pretty beans, clean sweep. AIDS. Oh, we're gonna. I, uh, one of the things that's exciting <laughs> to me about this episode is the numerous opportunities we'll have to do our Reagan voices. Well, can you read the whole thing in a Reagan voice? <laughs> that might get a little bit old, but oh, I, I definitely within two sentences, completely old. <laughs> I, I think I've picked the right moments to try my Reagan voice out, but, you know, maybe we'll have us a Reagan on Reagan conversation, because there's two <laughs> sides of Reagan that you're going to see in this episode, one of which is pretty sympathetic and seems like a guy who could have dealt with this crisis in a, a reasonably woke manner, mm. and one of which is the Reagan that was actually president. Uh, sure. Reagan <laughs> so. isn't the guy that he betrayed everyone in SAG and um, during the uh, McCarthy hearings and everything? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, a lot of people did that. Uh, including so Roy just, Khan, who was was also a yes, gay man, who's also so like, a, yeah, but also a piece of shit. If I total remember, total piece of shit. Isn't he from, isn't he a character in Angels in America? Well, he was one of the guys who, when McCarthy was uh, doing the House and Un American Activities Committee, was asking people, "Are you now, or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party?" So he was a. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we're getting so far ahead. You can of the trace script. the, but I'm just saying you can trace the darkness back decades. You in can these tra- monsters. You can trace the, and I think the darkness that you can trace back with Reagan to that period is his not willing to take any risks that hurt his career, because I really do think that comes down to it more than ideology in Reagan's case. But we'll see how you feel at the end of this. I'm going to yeah. present 
all the evidence I have. Um, so on June 5th, 1981, the CDC reported that five young homosexual men in Los Angeles had been treated for pneumocystis carini, which is a uh, like a fungal lung infection that can that's life-threatening, and it's only really found in people with very compromised immune systems. And we know now that this is one of those, like, you know, AIDS isn't what kills you when your immune system gets, you know, destroyed. These little things that are always around us that normally we don't get sick from, that's sure. what gets you. And so, th- Right, and they're in L.A., which is a filthy town, so. Well, I mean, that's one of its charms, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want to call it a charm. Uh, two of these men had died by the time the CDC reported it, and on July 4th, the CDC reported eight more gay Los Angelinos had been treated for Kaposi sarcoma, which is a, a rare form of cancer yeah. that, again, only strikes people with crippled immune systems. So no one knew what it was at this point, really. But doctors start to recognize in 1981 something really weird is happening specifically in, like, coastal cities and specifically to the gay populations. In What's going on cities? culturally in 1981? What movies are hot? Uh, shit, this isn't that far from Red Dawn, isn't it? Wasn't that 1985? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. So, I said yes. I have no I have no idea. I didn't prepare anything on the movies that were ready, <laughs> but I'm guessing When's Indiana Jones? Indiana Jones that was what, eighty two? Star Wars was hot. Star People Wars started was dying hot. from immunodeficiencies. It was it was that beautiful era when we thought, boy, if we get three good Star Wars movies, I don't think anyone'll ever ask for any more Star Wars movies. That'd be swell. Yeah. Uh yeah, what a time. Anyway, doctors around the country gradually started to realize that something was wrong. 234 people died from AIDS over the course of 1981. When do they, like, name it? Uh, 81? Like they I, said, no, like... that starts in, like, 82. So, like, in 1981, 231 people die. President doesn't say anything. But at this point, it's small enough that, like, most presidents probably wouldn't have addressed a thing that's... Like, it's, it's, it's still really little at this point. But on May 11th, 1982, doctors identified the bloodborne pathogen behind all these deaths. So they realized that they're not, like, a bunch of different things. There's one thing connecting these all. Uh, And they call the new disease, as you mentioned, gay-related immune deficiency uh, syndrome, so GRIDS. 853 Americans died during 1982, and a a couple of months after that, in June of uh, June 27th, 1982, is when the term AIDS came into use. So the medical community corrected pretty quickly. They started off you know, with the definitely bigoted position of like, well, let's just lock this down as a gay disease. But within a couple of months, doctors were like, well, okay, that's not what's happening. And we made a mistake and they correct it. But at this time, the more common names that were used were, yeah, people called it the gay plague or gay cancer. Like, so that was the more common term. And grids definitely reinforced that attitude. Yeah. Um, that's always my go-to reference for a character who's a... Uh disgusting homophobe and also old mm. he's got the gay plague <laughs> yeah grids well this plague just well. came sweeping through the coasts <laughs> not, by the way not a lot of opportunities to to riff on <laughs> no no not really people dying of what turned out to be a horrific uh horrific disease i mean it doesn't we don't have to riff this, this can just be like a heartbreaking conversation where we're both emotionally exhausted at the end of it yeah well i mean, I mean that's Life at this point, right? Yeah, the, the guiding principle of this podcast is that, like, you have these horrible stories that are important. Nobody's going to, like, after a week like this week where, like, you hear about all this shit going on in our actual government right now, very few people are going to sit down and be like, well, I'm going to read about, you know, how the government ignored the AIDS epidemic. But it's important that people know this. So maybe if you, you put a little bit of frosting, make a couple of Reagan jokes and whatnot, <laughs> do some accents and stuff, then people hear the story and it sticks in their head and they don't go home and drink bleach because they're just so sad. Yeah. That's the goal. All I've got in my mind is Reagan sitting in his uh, chair in the Oval Office just like shoveling jelly beans as his, <laughs> into his mouth as his mind just deteriorates. 
Have like had could, a jelly bean today. <laughs> like you can see the pieces of his brain, like as dust, like fly out of his ears in uh, a trail. That, that's the picture of my head right now. Well, now that we've lost the conservative listeners. <laughs> No, no. I mean, this was never going to be the episode that they grabbed do, onto. Do you have conservative listeners? I assume so. They leave really angry reviews whenever we talk about the Reagans. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll say, I'll say, I'll give a real message to conservative listeners. There is an example in this podcast we'll be talking about about a Christian, very far right wing conservative who was a legitimate hero of the AIDS epidemic. So we're going to be giving his story alongside Reagan's. So we're not biased on this. Like we're, you're we're, not biased. Yeah. <laughs> We're all biased, but you can talk about how the Reagans act, and you can talk about how other people who were even more extreme in their beliefs still did the right thing during the epidemic, which I think is important, because like people are going to believe things that I don't like no matter what. It doesn't mean you have to ignore hundreds of thousands of people dying of a yeah. disease. Well, I think what's interesting is there is a time in our country where conservative people, there was some kind of moral compass attached to their existence, whereas now if you are on the right wing. I, I really do feel like at this point, you knew who Trump was when you voted for him. He was not unapologetic about being a racist and a white supremacist and a monster. He announced his candidacy by calling Mexicans rapists. You knew who he was when you voted for him. I don't think you have an excuse anymore. Maybe during the Reagan era. Yeah, well, the Reagan era was really the first time we start to see a number of things that are now sort of hallmarks of the right wing. For one thing, it was the first time that conservative evangelical Christians voted as a group for a conservative candidate, because most evangelical Christians had voted for Carter in right. the election prior. And Carter had disappointed them mainly by the fact that he kind of he governed as more of a moderate, because he's, he's a, the same guy. He didn't like, you know, he opposed abortion personally, but he didn't like push against it or anything like that. He's an empathetic person. I mean, he- spends, He builds houses yeah, I was say, <laughs> as a 92-year-old man. Building houses for Habit for Humanity. <laughs> yeah. Like, so they backed him, but they wound up going with Reagan during the 1980 election. And so I, I, it's one of the things that I think is important to recognize now, since we're talking about like the past, is how weird Reagan's campaign was for the time. Because again, for most of American history, different Christian denominations had voted for different parties. Yeah, was really that like good. the first like big tent kind of yeah. Republicanism? Catholics voted one way, Protestants voted another way. Nobody really cared what the, the Quakers did, but you know they, they made really good butter. Um, and that was politics for a couple hundred years in America. So this, but this is the beginning of like big tent that idea that like, and this is the beginning of the Christian right voting with the Republican Party. So yeah, Ronald Reagan was this guy who was the first conservative to really effectively reach out to the evangelical right. But he was also a TV and movie star and a former governor of California. He spent most of his life in Hollywood around Hollywood movie stars. Those are the people he socialized with. And so he and Nancy Reagan had numerous gay friends in their early life, including the closeted film star Rock Hudson. During the Kennedy years, California Republicans started preparing Ronald Reagan for his first political foray. They kind of picked him before he was even governor and were like, this guy is someone who we can wedge into power. Since Ronald Reagan was going to be getting into politics, the people sort of grooming him for this knew that Nancy Reagan was going to need a very carefully crafted look if she was going to be eventually a first lady. So she wound up hiring a bunch of fashion designers and whatnot to kind of help her craft a look, and one of them was a very famous gay fashion designer named Jimmy Galanos. Working with Jimmy thrust Nancy deeper into Los Angeles's homosexual community, uh, and she made a lot of friends. She was regularly seen, quote, on the arm of a guy named Jerry Zipkin, who was a gay real estate heir and socialite. News clippings at the time refer to him Is he as Jewish. A, uh, maybe Zipkin? I don't know. I'm I just didn't. try to put a picture in my head of like 
You know, it's weird. I tried to research this guy because, like, you can't find out much about him. Articles at the time will refer to him as a popular social escort, which is apparently a thing that used to exist to where, like, women would want to go out and go to parties and events and their husband wouldn't be available. And Jerry was a prominent guy that everybody knew was gay, even though it wasn't really talked about. So, like, if he's with your wife at a, the opening of a gallery or a movie premiere, it's fine. You know, mm. it's Jerry. She's with, he's, with, he's with Jerry. I'm imagining, like, thick glasses frames with like tinted lenses it's the thick frames are what i get from the name jerry the yeah. tinted lenses are all zipkin <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's both parts of his name complete my belief of his look we're not going to look that up we're just going to keep that in our heads so nancy and ronald also became friends with roy Cohn around this time in the 60s uh Cohn was as we said kind of a, a fiercely anti-communist lawyer uh um, like a fixer yeah, he was a big fixer. He was a big influence on Donald Trump in the uh, the early 1980s. Yeah. They were very close, and he was also a close advisor to Ronald Reagan. Is fixer um, just a phrase for someone who like gets people murdered and blackmailed and all that kind of stuff? No, I've used a number of fixers in my career when I've been working in war zones. They're people who basically like know wherever you are better than you and help you do like you like I need I have this goal in Los Angeles and I and he's like oh we're well, gonna need to talk to this person this person this person they can help you out or like in DC it's the same thing like oh well we can make this happen like fixing is a, a morally neutral term it's gotten like we're talking about Trump's fixers in the news right now so it's very shady but there are just fixers whose whole job is like oh you're trying to accomplish this goal yeah these are the people you need to meet this or is who's the uh the early MGM fixer guy. I forget his name, but... Oh, uh, I don't know. Yeah. There's been there's a lot of fixers throughout history. Sometimes they're just called advisors or aides or whatever. Um, fixers throughout history. Yeah, that would be a fun thing to do. So Roy Kahn was a famous fixer in this period, and he was a closeted gay man. It's impossible to say one way or the other if the Reagans knew about his sexuality. We do know they went to a ton of parties with Roy Kahn, and we do know how Roy Kahn behaved at parties, because some of his friends wrote about those nights. So I'm going to quote now from a Life article titled, The Snarling Death of Roy M. Cohn. Spoilers. (laughs) At his parties, he'd haul people up to their feet to sing God Bless America, evidently his favorite song, even though he was a lifelong opera goer. Roy's idea of a good time was to sing patriotic ditties at a piano bar in Provincetown on Cape Cod. A friend recalled going home early one summer evening and, on inquiring the next morning about the rest of the night, being told... We all stood around the piano. Roy sang three choruses of God Bless America and got a heart on and went home to bed. What is he, the founder of the Capitol Steps? He's just a good American singing the national anthem at drunk as hell with a really big erection. And that's Roy Cohn. How big? I mean, they noticed it. And they commented on it in the 60s. So I'm going to guess. I feel like they're... Significant. I feel like there may be like, uh, you know, you know, like... People never speak ill of the dead. Like when Nixon died, everyone was like, what a great guy, even mm-hmm. though he was just this like rat fuck little He was like, a drunk creature. man with his hand on the button. Yeah. Yeah. Screaming the N-word regularly. Yeah. yeah. So I bet like they're like, well, he's dead. Let's just talk about how big a dick he had. I don't I don't think he was dead when this story was oh, related, but I, I don't really know. The snarling death was after he was dead. But like this anecdote, I think, came from an earlier interview. Um, it was hard to tell. Uh, Can you imagine in an interview where you're just like, and man- the size of that guy's <laughs> cock. Let me tell you about the time I saw this man's <laughs> erection. <laughs> Roy Cohn was hard for America, okay? <laughs> That's the that point was, of that tale. That was his slogan when he was trying to, like, when he was running for office himself. Yeah. Hard, hard for America. Hard for America. And it was like a penis-shaped thing with, like, the American flag. I was going to say the, the lyrics of God Bless mm-hmm. America written on the shaft. But, diff- you know, honest men can, can, can interpret that differently. Yeah. Uh, or like a constitution <laughs> with... Someone writing on it, like, you know, instead of a quill, though, it's a penis. <laughs> if that's how they'd signed. No, no, no. We're getting 
The Family Podcast. Oh, is it? No, it's not at all. It's not <laughs> okay. in any way, shape, or form. Don't let your kids listen to... Well, listen to some of this. Let your kids listen to the one about the East India Tea Company. That's important. Okay, so Nancy Reagan also desperately wanted Billy Haynes, a gay home decorator, to decorate her home. Um, he had decorated the home of some other favorite socialite who was sort of like... He, he decorated the home of somebody that, that Nancy really admired, and so she wanted this guy to do her house. But Nancy and Ronald did not have enough money at this point to hire the guy. So they what? Hatched, what? What? They weren't that is rich. This? Huh? This is like, like this is like sixty eight, sixty nine, something like they that. Have bedtime for Bonzo or money. Or sixty five? No, that's not that much money, man. Bedtime for Bonzo. <laughs> they were just low enough on the totem pole that like he could be convinced to go into politics. He was not that big a star. Should have gotten a better business manager. Well, that's a fair point. Um, so yeah, she wanted this guy to decorate her house, but they couldn't afford it. So they hatched a cunning scheme to get the next best thing. So here's a quote from an article in The Advocate called Nancy and the Gays that talks about how Nancy kind of finagled her way into kind of having this guy decorate her home without paying for it. She and Ron soon began socializing with the gay couple. In 1967, when Reagan became governor of California, the victory party was held in the home of William Haynes and Jimmy Shields. Haynes is the guy that she wanted to decorate her house. Soon Nancy used Jimmy Shields' partner as her shopping buddy. Still unable to afford the high prices and super swank of the Haynes look, she would take Jimmy along on a shopping junket and get his advice and use his articulate tastes. So she basically befriends the husband of the guy that she wants to decorate her house and just takes him shopping with her to get advice on stuff. Because she's too cheap to hire the guy. So there's a history of them exploiting gay men. Yeah, but in a friendly way. (laughs) I don't know. Friendly exploitation. It may be exploitation. They may have actually been buddies. I've read different things on it. Some of them say these people were pretty close to them. I don't know. It does seem like they had some legitimately close gay friends in this period. From what I can tell, I will say this, I can't find any evidence of movie star era Ronald Reagan pre-politics expressing publicly any homophobic views. In fact, it seems that prior to the fall of 1967, a lot of people might assume he was kind of your best case scenario for a Republican if you were like a a gay person looking at like, okay, a Republican's going to win. What's the least offensive one? Well, it's this guy who's already kind of plugged into the gay community in L.A. and has shown willingness and like open-mindedness, at least in his personal life. So that's how people might have felt in 1967. Now, 1967 is the year he took office, and in fall of that year, there was a big series of news articles about a, quote, homosexual clique in the Reagan administration, because it turned out that a lot of the guys he had high up in his governor's administration were gay men. This was exposed by the news uh, and was seen as a big deal because Reagan had campaigned on ending California's moral decline. So it was not taken well with his conservative base, and he fired all of the gay men in his administration. He'd been happy to work with them earlier, obviously. He only jettisoned them because they threatened his career. Oh, sure. Might as well, you know, dump your morals as well. Well, see, but this is what's interesting to me. Because when I got into this, I had thought, okay, he was probably just a really conservative, homophobic person from the beginning. And I don't think that's the case. I don't think he personally had much of an issue one way or the other. I think he just— This seems worse. there's a problem. It is worse. That's what I'm saying. instrumentally homophobic as opposed to just like— I mean, all of it is— terribly awful but (laughs) it's all bad i think it is worse though if he knows there's nothing wrong with it really he doesn't actually care what these people are doing in their private lives he just wants to stay in power and win more elections and so he'll jettison whoever he's got to jettison now the reagans did begin after this period to take stronger public stances against gay people nancy still went on her dates with zipkin but she would also in public call homosexuality a sickness she called it an abnormality also in interviews. She asked um, him to stop using tinted lenses in his glasses. 
That's the worst yet. Um, Jerry, please. Hi, I'm Nancy. This is. I can't. This I, is my, well, well. I love that if you're gonna do the Nancy voice, you always you're always gonna go back to doing the Ronald voice because nobody knows what Nancy Reagan <laughs> sounded like anymore. Don't use drugs. I don't even remember if that's accurate. I think I can remember Barbara Bush's voice, but only because I can remember Barbara Bush on The Simpsons. What do like uptight socialites sound like? I don't know. They're all dead because we don't have like, socialites Hold on. Let me anymore. like tighten my butthole real tight. And then, I, well, this is my, hello. You're just doing Lady Ray- Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> Lady Reagan, my favorite Beatles song. All right. Now, uh, we, have to, we have to break for some ads right now. But when we get back, we're going to talk about a legitimate stance Reagan took in favor of gay people while he was governor. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the death of tens of thousands of Americans. So that's all coming up. But first. <laughs> Great teaser. Products. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily to die for is available now listen for free on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
And we're back. We're talking about the Reagans. We just talked about their history, their friendships with gay people. Quote unquote friendships. I'm pretty sure they really liked Roy Cohn. And oh, sure, because he's a vicious monster. They seem to have been good friends to, with Rock Hudson, too. But it yeah, has nothing so. to do with his homosexuality. In, uh, in 67, of course, he fires all of the gay people in an administration. In 1978, so near the end of Reagan's time in office, a- What cons- movies are out? Hmm? Star Wars was a year Star before. Star Wars, I'm thinking, right? Yeah. A conservative lawmaker named Briggs proposed a California ballot initiative that became known as the Briggs Initiative. Uh, if it passed, it would have banned not only all gay people, but all people who supported gay rights from teaching in California schools. So this wasn't even saying you can't talk about homosexuality in school. This is saying if you personally support gay rights, you can't be a teacher in California. So anyway, the initiative was really popular when it started out. It was the focus of one of the first major gay rights campaigns in California, I think, or American history. Harvey Milk was a big part of it. Um, It involved a lot of gay men going door to door and talking to people and just being like, hey, we exist and this law sucks. And um, Reagan took a public stance against the Briggs Initiative, um, along with a number of other people. President Carter did as well. The advocates in this case were very successful in turning public opinion around before the vote and uh, obviously it was defeated. So that's good. And so this is where the log cabin Republicans come from. They were formed in order to fight this initiative. And then other things have happened since. And then, yeah, what happened? Like, why are there still log cabin Republicans? They started out trying to stop a thing that needed to be stopped. So in this case, they're on the right side of things, although this is a really hard thing to be on the wrong side of. Like, you're really a pretty big piece of shit if you're in support of the Briggs initiative at this point. Again, even Reagan was against it prior to running for president. So yeah, uh, this is where I started to realize that, yeah, I'd gotten something wrong about the Reagans um, and started to realize that the real story is much darker because he's clearly capable of being convinced to give a shit about gay people because it happened once and he has all these friends. So yeah, this is kind of the high watermark morally that we're going to get into here in the story and it's all downhill from here. So <laughs> Great. Yeah. In 1983, three years after taking office, Ronald and Nancy hosted interior decorator Ted Graber and his partner, Archie Case, at the White House. When's uh, Reagan shot? 82? I think 83. 83? Right before his, So it's yeah. right around the corner. Yeah, right around the corner. So they, they have uh, Ted Graber and his partner, Archie Case, over to the White House. They celebrated Nancy's 60th birthday and uh, stayed the night. And Ted and Archie were probably the first same-sex couple to room together at the White House. So again, we're still at the high moral watermark. I teased that just a second too early. But this is the best part of the having- Reagan's. So him standing up against the Briggs initiative initiative and having one gay couple at the White House. Yep. That's so. I want to make sure I'm being fair here. (laughs) The bar is set very, very low. I mean, the sad thing is that's actually not a low bar for 1983, especially after what we're going to get into here. Anyway, we'll talk about that later. Uh, when AIDS became a very public and prominent problem in 1982, the Reagans should have known it was serious. They had friends who were members of the gay community that were clearly plugged into Los Angeles. You would have expected something from this administration on the fact that hundreds of Americans were now dying from AIDS. Instead, here's what happened. I'm about to play you audio of the Reagan administration's first official response to the AIDS crisis. Uh, This is a clip from a 1982 press conference. Reagan's press secretary, Larry Speaks, is asked about AIDS by (laughs) a— what's his name? Larry Speaks with a with an E. Yeah, I know. It's even so weirder. My the, press they, Secretary Larry Speaks. This is Larry Speaks. Well, you, you're getting defense, the job. Clearly, your name Speaks. This is my defense secretary Tony Bombs. <laughs> it's almost like a Dick Army kind of name. Like it really is. If they only they'd all been in the same administration. Um, and then yeah, he's being asked a question about AIDS by a reporter named Lester Kinsolving. So all right, let's play it. Announcement from the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta that AIDS is now an epidemic in 600, over 600 cases. 
It's known as gay plague. <laughs> no, it is. I mean, it's a pretty serious thing. That, uh, one in every three people that get this have died, and I wonder if the president is aware of it. I don't have it. Are you? Do you? You don't have it. Well, I'm relieved to hear that. Do you? You didn't answer my question. How do you know? Does the president, in other words, the White House looks on this as a great joke. No, I don't know anything about it, Lester. Does the president, does anybody in the White House know about this epidemic, Larry? I don't think so. I don't think there's been any. There's been no personal experience here, Lester. No, I mean... I thought you were Doctor, I checked thoroughly with Dr. Ruge this morning, and he's had no uh, <laughs> no patients he, he suffered from AIDS or whatever it is. The president doesn't have gay plague. Is that what you're saying, or what? No, didn't say, that. didn't say that. Yeah. I thought I heard you on the State Department over there. Why don't you stay over there? <laughs> because, because I love you, Larry. Oh, I, I see. Well, I'm, let's don't put it in those terms, Lester. <laughs> oh, I retract that. <laughs> I hope. So I just love how like smirky these fuckers are and like smug. I mean, it's the same. It's exactly the same today. Like nothing has changed about these elite sons of bitches. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what's changed. I'll tell you what's changed because yeah. what this is and what this is usually when you this is from like a Vanity Fair put all these together in a short little documentary yeah. you can find. We'll have it linked on the site. This will usually be framed as like, listen to the Reagan administration's the laughter and stuff that they had over this, which is obviously Reagan's uh, spokesman is is laughing about this. And basically his response to this guy bringing it up is, why do you care? Are you gay? I'm not gay. I don't have it. Yeah, like, it's like the, gay panic. It's like the – also like I like how they didn't know how to use acronyms. Yeah, A-I-D-S. yeah, A-I-D-S. By the way, are you – are we going to get any information about how much money we're giving to NATO? Yeah, it's 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 it, but like he, what's notable to that to me is that this is not just Reagan people, these are journalists, presumably people who are more like to the left of the spectrum. They're all laughing at it. Like it's not just the Reagan people, which is something that has happened. I don't think if a disease were to inflict the gay community today, I don't think you'd have the press box all making fun of it. Like that I don't know. They're a bunch of elite <laughs> shitheads too. I don't know. I feel like uh it's shocking to me then that you could have, and I, I think Lester King solving or Ken solving is not a left wing journalist. He's actually a conservative right wing guy. He's a pretty homophobic dude, but at the same point is like a third of the people who have this have died. Thousands of Americans are sick. You have to say something. That's one of the things that's interesting to me about this is that you have a number of people who, by certainly by our standards, are really homophobic people, like Lester, who are still like, but something has to be done. It's not entirely a matter of people's morality was different then, because some people who were still pretty bigoted at least did something. He's not using the terminology that you'd want anyone to use today, but he's trying to get the White House to address a plague that's killing people, which is not nothing. And it's interesting to me that he's the only one in that room taking it seriously. What? Is I mean, sure. Okay. I, I don't, I, I just like, I guess it's his job too, in some way. But it's all of those journalists' job too, and he's the only one. That is something that's worth noting. It's both worth noting because everybody's really fucking homophobic in that video, but it's also worth noting because it's not just the Reagan administration's falling down on this. Mainstream journalism in 1982 considered this worth laughing over. Lester was a kook and a crank for talking about it at all. That's worth noting to me. We shouldn't just be attacking the Reagan administration because it, w- it was homophobia at every level of our nation's culture that allowed AIDS to get as bad as it got. And I think that video is emblematic of it. 
Lester obviously wanted the White House to address this in some way, and they don't. Like, there's no... He just wanted a scoop. I mean, at least he keeps it up. He keeps he keeps doing this for years. Like, he's, he's trying to get them to say something, and they refuse. Like, that is important to note. The Reagan administration refused to even address it, to even say as much as, we're aware that there's a problem, we're monitoring it. They wouldn't even say that much at this point. Part of why they weren't willing to say that much is that 12 days before the 1980 election, Ronald Reagan had received the endorsement of a group called Christians for Reagan. Now, Christians for Reagan, or C for R, as I'm going to call them to be cool and hip, was an ostensibly politically independent Christian fundamentalist lobbying group. So C4R paid for what Slate describes as a barrage of ads attacking President Carter for catering to gay people. Quote, On one spot, an announcer intoned, the gays in San Francisco elected a mayor. Now they're going to elect a president. Before the ads began, polls had shown that Carter, a born-again Christian, still had considerable support among evangelicals. But the hard-hitting TV spots were extremely effective, and they helped Reagan carry every southern state except Georgia, where Carter had been governor. Partly because the commercials never aired in New York or Washington, most people outside the South were never aware of them. So this is part of, I think, why the Reagan administration won't even say, we're aware that there's a disease— because they got elected off the back of people who were able to shift support away from Carter via homophobia. So that Reagan sure. knows that's part of his like foundation. Hey, Republicans, wait, we needed racism for the Southern strategy. Now we need homophobia so we can keep the evangelicals in line and abortion. So and We take that for granted now, but this is the start of that. This is also really the start of abortion being a major factor in American politics. That was not always. You go back to like the 1940s, that wasn't a wedge issue. I mean, it wasn't even really on most people's radar. It's in during the Reagan era that this really kicks, that both of these things really kick off as major aspects of Republican strategy. So whenever the question of homosexuality came up in Ronald Reagan's political life, uh, he was harsh when it was, you know, a public statement. He was asked on the campaign whether or not his ballet ga- dancer son was gay, and Reagan replied, he's all man, we made sure of that. Oh, these fuckers. I'm sorry, <laughs> I, I have nothing funny. They're just like all fuckers. No, I mean, I think that means Reagan was hitting his kid, but... <laughs> but just... <laughs> Um, The first couple continued to socialize and work with gay people behind the scenes. The publicly homophobic Roy Kahn was a close advisor to the Reagan White House. Ted Graber, who spent the night at the White House, also got a contract to do a $1 million renovation job of the family quarters in the West Wing. Uh, So clearly Ronnie and Nancy weren't above throwing a friend a bone, even if that friend happened to be homosexual. According taxpayer money? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that'll be noteworthy in a minute here. According to Steve Weissman, a journalist who covered Reagan's first term for the New York Times, quote, the White House wasn't that homophobic because Nancy had friends who were gay, but it was definitely a place where you would hear one staff member call another staff member a fag behind his back. Jesus Christ. I just I love the fact, like, you know, I can't be racist. I have a black friend or like that kind of uh, justification is. Yeah, it's a pretty remarkable quote because it's like you just described a pretty homophobic office. Like, it's not that sexist a place. We just, you know, do a lot of pinching. Like, well, OK. <laughs> At this point, federal action to actually stop the spread of AIDS had only been taken by a handful of scientists at the CDC, and at this point being 1982. They and a small caucus of New York and California congressmen lobbied to get additional funding to fight AIDS. It's worth noting that these congressmen got involved because they all had openly gay staff members who begged them to do something. So these are Democratic congressmen who have gay people on their staff who are like, there's a fucking problem, you've got to do something. And so that's why the first real political action starts getting taken. It's because straight lawmakers have gay people who work for them who are like, dude, shit's fucked up. Um, which is why it's important yeah. all of the gay people who were in Reagan's political orbit got excised in 1967. That is a factor in this. 
Um, so one of the books I did read to prepare for this episode was After the Wrath of God. It's an uh, Oxford University Press textbook about how American religion impacted the AIDS crisis. It's very interesting. Um, it tides much, much of the Reagan administration's failure to the fact that gay people didn't have any access to administration officials. Quote, the Reagan era ushered in not only a new national leader, but also a new White House staff that included a number of anti-gay conservatives, chief among them Pat Buchanan, Gary Bauer, and William Bennett. Ugh. The shift consequently curtailed the already limited access that gay and lesbian leaders had to AIDS within the previous administration. As historian William Turner puts it, rather than having highly sympathetic White House and executive agency staffers serving under a largely indifferent president who supported the basic logic of civil rights, suddenly activists faced hostile staffers serving under a largely indifferent president who opposed the basic logic of civil rights. So one a attitude on this is that the Reagans didn't make a huge difference. It was the fact that their staff had zero people who gave a shit about the gay community. They had no control over their staff. Well, I mean, they, they did control their staff, yeah, I know. but yeah. I was being sarcastic. Yeah. But I, also, I love how like there's like maybe one or two sentences in the entire Bible yeah. that are like that. Even vaguely tied to it. Yeah. Vaguely tied to it. And somehow those two outweigh all of Jesus's discussion of like loving thy neighbor and like turning the other cheek and all this other kind of stuff that is about love and i don't know like wh what is it with like christian conservative what is it with their brains where that somehow those two little sentences or whatever somehow warps the rest of it i i think it has very little to do with the bible i think it has much more to do with the fact that a lot of these people grew up in a culture where like that was the thing that you made fun of that was the thing you attacked it was seen as immoral they didn't really know much about these people. There's a great quote from um, Senator Henry Waxman, who was like one of the congressmen in the health subcommittee who was like really active in early fighting back against AIDS. And in 1982, he wrote, there is no doubt in my mind that if the same disease had appeared among Americans of Norwegian descent or among tennis players rather than gay males, the responses of both the government and the medical establishment would have been different. Yeah. And I think that what it, it's a marginalized group that people are used to making fun of, so no one treats it seriously. Like that's the initial response of the administration. You heard it in that, in, in that audio. It's it's the press secretary joking that a journalist is gay for asking about gay people. I think that's why it was so ignored, because they're just seen as this subcategory of humanity that they don't like is is so far beneath their concern. I, I really think that's most of what it is. Yes. No, I get that. But I'm just saying that, like, the thing that's supposed to define these Christian conservatives is the Bible. And most of it's about loving everyone. Well, we're going to get into the Bible in a little bit, because there are a couple of different ways different Christian conservatives take the Bible as relates to the AIDS crisis. So we're seeing one right now. When we get back, we're going to talk more about the Reagan administration's fuck-up of the AIDS crisis. <laughs> That's what we're going to talk about. Well, well the Bible. Time for some ads. Jesus, Nicaragua. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, 
one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in the Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What up? I am Dramos, host of the Life as a Gringo podcast. Now, this is a show for the Nosabo kids, the, the 200 percenters. Here we celebrate your otherness and embrace living in the gray area. If you ever felt like you were always too much this while also never being enough that, this is the podcast for you. Every Tuesday, I'll be bringing you conversations around personal growth, issues affecting the Latin community, and much more via my own personal stories, along with interviews with inspiring thought leaders from our community. Then, every Thursday, I'll be tackling trending stories and current events from our community that you need to know. So much of what makes our community so beautiful is our diversity, yet too often those of us who don't fit into this dumb, stereotypical box of whatever it means to be Latino are left without a voice or just forgotten about. On this show, I celebrate the uniqueness of our culture and invite you to walk in your authenticity. Listen to Life as a Gringo as a part of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Um, 1982 was the first year that something should have been done by the Reagan administration vis-a-vis AIDS. It was also the year that very little was done vis-a-vis AIDS. Uh, While the National Institutes of Health spent $36,000 per toxic shock death in the U.S. in 1982, they spent only $8,991 per AIDS death in 1982. Toxic shock, as in keeping in a... There's a number of things that can cause it, but yeah, keeping in a tampon can cause it. It, It's a a less common cause of death than AIDS was by this point, but it was getting a lot more money, and so was Legionnaire's disease. People went to soaking? Hmm? Soaking? (laughs) Um, Legionnaire's disease, which killed about 50 people in 1982, got way more funding. Between June 1981 and May 1982, the CDC spent less than a million dollars on AIDS and nine million on Legionnaire's disease. So sure. well, more there's than a big a th- uh, hmm? lobby. There's a Legionnaire's lobby. Well, yeah, there had been 50 people killed in that time from Legionnaire's disease and a thousand from AIDS. So AIDS gets a million dollars and kills a thousand people. Legionnaire's disease kills 50 people and uh, gets nine million dollars in federal funding. 
So yeah, there's not a lot of money being devoted towards it at this point. Here's a quote from an Advocate article I found. Congressional staffers joke that the NIH really stood for, the National Institutes of Health, really stood for not interested in homosexuals. Uh, Republican priorities were perfectly clear right from the start of the Reagan government. One of the administration's first official acts was to propose a cut of nearly 50% in the appropriation for the CDC, from $327 million to $161 million. So one of the first things the Reagan administration does as a plague is starting to take off is cut CDC funding in half. Um, at the same time, Reagan asked for an immediate increase of $7 billion in defense spending and an additional increase of $25 billion for the following fiscal year for a total of $220 billion spent on defense when we cut $150 million out of the CDC's budget. So, again, you've got like a perfect storm here, not all of which is related to homophobia, but certainly all of which is related to not really giving a shit what happens to gay sure. people. Where that money go to like arming to a to mining well, yeah, yeah, mining mean, the harbor in Nicarag- no, Nicaragua No, Nicaragua st- Star Wars stuff like that. Oh, you yeah. know? We had to we had to get lasers in space that we still don't have. Hey, uh, space force fingers crossed. We, we get it in 2019. We helped out some nice boys in Afghanistan and the last time I checked <laughs> that place has been sailing pretty smooth yeah, since yeah. the 80s. In good times in Afghanistan. So in 1983, the CDC warned blood banks that it believed the blood supply may have been contaminated. Blood with banks HIV. would be a good name for a uh, like a rich person who owns like Peter Thiel. I, that is Peter, happening right now. Peter Thiel should his name should be informally Blood Banks. Yeah, uh, or, or just Dracula. <laughs> I mean, uh, the HIV virus was identified and named for the first time in 1983. Ronald Reagan did not say the words AIDS in 1983. Uh, as far as we know, he had never uttered the word in his life at that point even though 2,304 Americans died in just 1983 from AIDS. On June 13, 1983, after roughly one 9-11's worth of total American deaths due to AIDS, the disease finally came up in a second press conference. You got any predictions about how this one's going to go? My guess, longer peels of laughter. All right, all right. Let's see. uh, Like when you peel, you know, an orange or something, and you use the thing to get the whole peel off into one little strand? I've never had the patience. (laughs) That. I'm leading environmentalists to describe the uh, president's speech on Saturday, the fairy tale. Is there any uh, reaction to that? Not true. <laughs> 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 fairy tales are not true, and this one's true. Lester's ears perked up when you said fairies. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty biting bad. There's an abiding interest in that. This is the movement in uh, Denver at the Conference of Mayors Convention. Press for federal assistance. The president has been involved in, um, in, in briefed on the AIDS situation a number of months ago in a cabinet meeting and uh, ordered that high priority be given to research matters on it. Uh, the Center for Disease Control has been involved for some time. The president will continue to be updated. We have recently asked that $12 million uh, be reprogrammed for research on AIDS. That's the extent of the president's involvement, which has been... Larry, does the president think that it might help if he suggested that the gays uh, cut down on their cruising? Yeah. <laughs> told you, didn't I? Told you. I didn't hear your answer, Larry. Uh, I just was acknowledging your, you were in, acknowledging uh, your interest in this subject. You don't think that it would help if the gays cut down on their cruising? It we're, would help we're, re- we're researching it. If we come up with any... any uh, any research that uh, sheds some light on whether gays should cruise or not cruise, we'll make it available to you. <laughs> the one legitimate piece of progress we've These seen motherfuckers. is that they use the acronym now. Right. Yeah, so now they understand. you got to give them credit for that. Sure. It took a year. 
They had an English but teacher come in and teach them something. They are still laughing every time anyone says the word fairy. By the way, is everyone in the press pool a 12-year-old boy? Yes, this was a time when everyone in the press pool was a 12-year-old boy. Okay, well, yeah. that makes more that sense. That was a Reagan-era policy. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, which we should go back to, actually. Um, <laughs> if you've watched Newsies, you know how funny kids can be with the news. And cholera. Uh, I've never watched Newsies. I assume they all die of cholera. Kids die. Yeah. From the darndest things. <laughs> that was the most popular show in 1919. Um, <laughs> so the Reagan administration's first official meeting of the AIDS crisis with representatives of the gay community was held on June 23rd, 1983. It included two members of the National Gay Task Force, a special assistant to the president, and staff members from Health and Human Services. The members of the Gay Task Force, which was essentially like a gay advocacy group. I wish it was like a... It's a cool name, right? A gay assassin group. Like it was made up of all gay men and women, and they just murdered homophobes. I will tell you, Strom Thurmond would not have lived to be 116 if that (laughs) task force had been doing its job. He's still alive, by the way, somewhere. (laughs) That kind of hatred never quite dies. No, 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 no. He's. Uh, I mean, do you think when he died, the molecules in his body just like floated off in his infected much like they, much I, like in the the return of optimus prime with the hate virus that I, I think molecules from him disintegrated off of his body and formed a new hand of a stegial hand on the spine of roger stone okay yeah so now he can jerk himself off with both of his hands that's my theory Roger Stone can present a pantsless photo of himself to prove it wrong or not, but I believe he has a vestigial hand growing on his thigh. Like Quado. Like Quado, exactly, but just a hand. But just a hand for jerking himself off constantly. Roger Stone. <laughs> the Babadook himself, Roger Who, Stone. by the way, at this point in time, is helping Paul Manafort establish the first lobbying group explicitly for dictators, which is pretty cool. Progress. So every, There are progressives involved in politics at this point. Okay, just, great. We should point that out. So the gay task force people asked for things from the Reagan administration, like more money for sex ed at the state level. They wanted a national conversation about condom use and the destigmatization of AIDS as a gay disease. By the way, where did you grow up? Texas. Texas. I grew up in Pennsylvania. The sex ed in fifth grade was basically like a nervous gym teacher being like, (laughs) Oh, we just got a video. They They just started the video, walked out of the room, and came back in when it was done, and everyone was very uncomfortable. (laughs) It was terrible sex ed. But it was Texas, so I'm I'm surprised they let us know penises exist. Yeah. They really like to keep that under wraps in Texas. So, yeah, the, uh, the, what the task force wanted was pretty minor and pretty, like, a big thing for them was just, like, tell people condoms work to prevent AIDS. They should know that. Maybe give out some condoms. The Reagan administration was not a big fan of this advice. So they had a second meeting about AIDS in August. No representatives of the gay community were invited this time. Instead, Reagan representatives met with the national director of the conservative caucus, Howard Phillips, who thought any information about AIDS had to be delivered under a blanket condemnation of homosexuality as a, quote, moral wrong. Another attendee, Dr. Ron Goodwin of the Moral Majority, suggested that the administration should close gay bathhouses and require blood donors to give their sexual histories. Uh, Historian Jennifer Breyer notes that when the CDC officials pushed to take effective steps against the disease, they struggled against the fact that, quote, many of Reagan's domestic advisors and aides wanted to bend what they called AIDS education to fit the model of social and religious conservatism that posited gay men as sick and dangerous. Uh, By the way, more like the moron majority. (laughs) Oh, nice. You you really told that one in time. (laughs) Uh, Guys, I am... uh... 
professional, get that on some professional comedy writer. If we get that on some T-shirts from the 84 <laughs> election, I think we can really make a difference. There's got to be like some village in sub-Saharan Africa where everyone's either wearing a moron majority shirt or a Hillary for prison shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, we're still fighting your political battles from 10 years ago here in T-shirts. Yeah, and also they've got like... Shaq t-shirts. Yeah, a lot of Shaq t-shirts. Uh, it's going to be fun. A lot when, of Kazam. Or yeah. Whatever, whatever movie Kazam, was in. Kazam was the real one. Shazam was the fake. I forget. Shazam was the Mandala effect one. So late in 1983, nine Republican congressmen wrote a letter to the president. One of these congressmen was Newt Gingrich. Here's Jennifer Breyer. Uh, Gingrich argued that closing bathhouses or mandating reporting of AIDS was a more reasonable policy than trying to provide sex education at bathhouses or keeping the names of people who tested positive for HIV anonymous. Here, the common sense arguments betrayed a particular stance on AIDS, one that sought to make the public healthy by restricting the civil rights of those uh, believed to be sick. So you'd certainly never hear about anything like that happening again. One of the doctors working tirelessly to treat the epidemic was Marcus Conant. This is Newt Gingrich, the guy who served his wife divorce papers yes. while she was in the hospital, right? Yes, yes. Uh, moral paragon, Duke Gingrich, yeah. Uh, all of these fuckers, like, <laughs> yeah. To, yeah. A, to a man, there isn't one of them that isn't just, like, a dark Cthulhu-like beast in their brains. No. Like, they're all these kind of, like, non-Euclidean garbage creatures. No, which is why I, I, I think, really, if you want to reform politics in this country, one of the laws that you pass is that in order to be an elected politician at the national level— you wear a camera at all times while you're elected. Everybody sees you go to the bathroom. Everybody sees you fuck. Everybody sees every conversation you say. You can just log into a stream. You can watch Rand Paul do whatever the fuck Rand Paul does at 1130 at night. Scream at Zero neighbors. privacy for you. Yeah, exactly. And if you, once you've got a full look at these people, yeah. you decide, I want to keep supporting them. I think they're in line with my moral values. Why, well, is, uh, why is Ron Paul hollowing a... Uh... A, a six-inch hole out of a copy of The Fountainhead. Oh, man, you hope it's a copy of The Fountainhead. Shoving all that Vaseline in there. <laughs> I don't know why, but I when I imagine the thing that Rand Paul has sex with that's not a person, I was imagining, like, a decorative gourd. Oh. Yeah. I was imagining, like, he Yours gets... was more on brand He gets a Rand real Paul. doll of Ayn Rand. <laughs> <laughs> You're my mommy. You're still doing a Reagan voice. <laughs> We're stuck in it. Well, on Rand's my mommy. <laughs> One of the doctors working tirelessly to treat the epidemic in 1983 was Marcus Conant. He was among the first physicians in the country to treat or diagnose AIDS in patients due to his work in UC San Francisco. Dr. Conant met with the Reagan administration three times, first in 1983. Here's The Guardian. Doc Conant and his colleagues, quote, were going on and on about how this was a disease, an infectious disease, he recalled. Reagan's representative wasn't buying it. Her response was that this was a legal problem, not a medical problem, Conant said. Simply because of who gay men with AIDS were and who their sexual partners were, she told him, these people were breaking the law. So, 1983, that's the Reagan administration's stance to doctors. Gay people are breaking the law. The problem is they're law-breaking, not the fact that there's a disease. Ronald Reagan did not address the nation about Remember AIDS. Remember when we locked up all those people with typhus? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a good time. Oh, man. We, that one lady got out. It was a real problem. <laughs> we, we had tiny uh, handcuffs made for all the lice in the late 1800s. Uh, I thought you were talking about tiny handcuffs for children. And I was thinking that's an industry that had to have taken a hit since the 1800s. Oh, yeah. Ever since, like, yeah. Whenever the labor movement started kicking up in the like teens or whatever. Yeah. So if we have a children's uprising today, the police are not prepared to deal with it. Which, kids? Hey, look. They if can't you are, cuff you. If you're a business person looking forward to the future- 
we are going to need children-sized cuffs at some point. Children-sized cuffs, children-sized cages, all sorts of little cute little children-sized prison paraphernalia. Guys, um, guys. It's a growth industry. Capitalism works. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, a little children's guard uniforms, too. We could have all-child prisons. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That would be so cute. Yeah. Little Anne Geddes oh, calendars. And little with... German Shepherd puppies, like, <laughs> just ripping people apart on the ground. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh. What a time it's going to be. Anyway, uh, Ronald Reagan did not address the nation about AIDS in 1983. Uh, As far as we know, at that point, he still had not himself said the word. He certainly hadn't said it in public. Uh, His communications director, though, Pat Buchanan, wrote an article for the New York Post. (laughs) Quote from Pat Buchanan, The sexual revolution has begun to devour its children, and among the revolutionary vanguard as gay rights activists, the mortality rate is highest in climbing. The poor homosexuals, they have declared war upon nature, and now nature is exacting an awful retribution. Here's how Randy Schlitz, author of The Band Played On, sums up uh, Pat Buchanan's article's conclusion in his book. Buchanan concluded by saying that no homosexual should be permitted to handle food and that the Democratic Party's decision to hold their next convention in San Francisco would leave delegate spouses and children at the mercy of, quote, homosexuals who belong to a community that is a common carrier of dangerous, communicable, and sometimes fatal diseases. Pat Buchanan, everybody. Is he still alive? Uh, I think so. I know my dad probably voted for him for president at one point. Oh, God. Yeah, he was a perennial candidate guy, kind of like a fringe right dude, would yeah. always always run. Oh, you're from Texas again, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, yeah. I have to remember that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 4,251 Americans died from AIDS in 1984. President Ronald Reagan still said nothing. Uh, he did, however, invite his buddy, Rock Hudson, over to the White House. Check this well, out. Oh, yeah, look at that. Hudson was really keeping it together at 59. Now, he has HIV in that picture. He's starting to get sick, but you can't really tell yet. Um, he's handsome. He is a handsome guy. Very good looking man. At, he's almost 60 in this picture? 59, I think. That's almost 60. Why are you quibbling with me? Well, I, 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 you were asked, and I was giving you specifics. Uh, he died about a year after this picture was taken, but we'll get to that. Um, in 1984, the Democratic National Convention was held in San Francisco as part of an attempt to get the Reagan administration to give a shit about the disease that was sweeping through the country. More than 100,000 people marched from the Castro in San Francisco to Moscow Center. Uh, on December 11th, 1984, with more than 4,200 Americans dead from AIDS, the disease came up in another press conference. Any guesses about this one? Uh, I'm going to guess a two-minute like applause break. <laughs> Just for AIDS? Yeah, just imagine, like, you know when uh, Louis C.K. came back and oh, God, at the yeah. cellar and he got a standing ovation? Uh, something that that dark will happen in this press conference. Okay. Lester's beginning to circle now. He's moving in front. <clears throat> Go ahead. It's the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta. Report <laughs> an estimated... Oh, look, can I ask a question? An estimated 300,000 people have been exposed to AIDS, which can be transmitted through saliva. Will the president, as commander-in-chief, take steps to protect armed forces, food and medical services from um, AIDS patients or those who run the risk of spreading AIDS in the same manner that they forbid typhoid fever people from uh, being involved in the or food services? Yeah, I wish I had. Is the president concerned about this subject, Larry, that seems to have evoked so much jocular? 
reaction here. He's I, pissed. You know, I have it isn't only the jocks, Lester. Has he sworn off water pluses? No, but I mean, is he going to do anything, Larry? Last I've not heard him express anything. You mean Sorry. He has no, uh, no, express no opinion about this epidemic. No, but I must confess, I haven't asked him about it. Would you ask him, Larry? Let's go back into this. Problem. Have you been checked? President what? I, I didn't kissing. hear the answer. Uh, <laughs> so it's interesting. Uh, it's hard work. Lester <laughs> is clearly angry in that. Uh, and this is part of why I think he deserves a lot of credit for his act in this. Because he's clear, like, he's a homophobe, he's a conservative guy. He's stuck with the questioning. He kept for years trying to bring this up. And by that third video, he's not laughing anymore. The first couple, he chuckles a few times. He's really pissed now. He's like, fucking a couple hundred thousand people are infected. Thousands are dead. You have to say something. That's worth something to me. The fact that, like, even though this guy had his biases, he he understood the severity of what was happening. And All you right. get credit for doing that when nobody else does. All right, he got me. Yeah, he did something. It's not nothing. Um, All right, I won't hate him as much as I did. Everyone else in that room deserves to be hated. Deserves Lester, to be named. Like, because yeah. also, that that is representative of what the kind of White House press pool yeah. is like. It's a bunch of, like, elite fucks who like going to pool parties with politicians and then ask them mostly softball questions or like laugh <laughs> at things that are affecting, you know, large swaths of the populace. They're not talking about things that are as real to them as they are to the people who actually need the news. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're totally separate. It's like why why so much of television is bad. Yeah. It's because it's a bunch of rich people trying to write about what they think normal Americans or whatever um, people around the world, but mostly Americans, right? Yeah. Are like, and they have no idea because they've been wealthy for so long, possibly for their entire lives. Yeah, because they've been living in the hills for the last 35 years. Yeah. Yeah, and their slumming is going to Trader Joe's on a Wednesday. Yeah. So I always respect it when people are able to take a step outside of their own beliefs and biases to understand something that is a problem for people that they don't like and take it seriously. It's better to just be a person who's open-minded and believes everyone as a human being, but if you've got those biases and you're able to do what Lester does and still take it seriously, that's better than everyone else. <laughs> I hope that guy got the Pulitzer for he did not. not being a no, piece of he, shit. He did not. <laughs> no, I mean specifically the Pulitzer oh. for not being a piece of shit. That would be a good award, the Pulitzer Prize for not being a sociopath. <laughs> Very yeah. few people would Very few get people it. qualify uh, in the field. So in July of 1985, Rock Hudson flew to France to take an experimental AIDS treatment, HPA 23. Uh, it hadn't yet been approved for human use in the United States. He never quite made it to the hospital. Here's a quote from The Guardian. He collapsed at the Ritz Hotel and was taken to the American hospital in the French capital. His publicist contacted the White House. The Reagans were old friends in an attempt to speed up a transfer to a military hospital to be seen by Dr. Dominique Dormant a French army doctor who had previously treated Hudson in secret. So he needs approval to go to this French military hospital. Hello, it is me, uh, Dominique Dormant. Uh, you just sound like French reg. <laughs> well, well. Uh, well, it is me, Dominique uh, Dormant. <laughs> yeah. I have some uh, jelly beans for you, maybe. So they wouldn't let him into the hospital um, <laughs> because it was like a French army hospital, and they were like, you're just some guy. Like We can't let you into this hospital. So Hudson's publicist telegrammed the Reagans and basically said, like, this is the only hospital in the world that can do what's necessary to save Rock's life or at least make him more comfortable. Please intervene because you're the fucking president. You can do something. You call France and say, let this guy into their hospital. They'll do it for you. 
According to a note written by an aide at the time who delivered the message to Nancy Reagan, quote, I spoke with Miss Reagan about the attached telegram. She did not feel that this was something that the White House should get into and agreed to my suggestion that we refer the writer to the U.S. Embassy, Paris. Now, BuzzFeed actually talked with this aide once they found the telegram in the Reagan Library archives. He claims he advised the First Lady that they had to be fair and not treat Rock different just because he was their friend. She agreed. The Reagans were very conscious of not making exceptions for people, he said, just because they were friends of theirs and, or celebrities or things of that kind. They weren't about that. They were about treating everybody the same. Unless you were gay. Well, there's a lot of reasons that's bullshit. One of them is, of course, we just talked about the fact that they paid one of their gay friends a million dollars to redo the residence at the White House. Clearly, they're not above doing a favor for a friend. Ronald Reagan had intervened personally like a year before to help his friend Bob Hope with a fundraiser. Um, and in 1982... When Ronald Reagan and Nancy Reagan's dear friends, Ferdinand and Imelda Marcos, were having a little bit of trouble clamping down unrest in the Philippines caused by the fact that they tortured and killed thousands of people, Ronnie did his friend a solid and invited Ferdinand Marcos to the White House. Now, there were big protests at the time. It was a political risk to invite a fascist to the White House, but Ronald Reagan did it. He stood by his friend and he gave him tens of millions of dollars in covert military aid, which really is what friendship is all about. Yeah, Um, sure. I mean... You know, it's why, you know, the Clintons were uh, fans of, what's his name? The Egyptian dictator. Oh, Sisi? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things, like, they were clearly not above doing things for their friends. This would not have been, they wouldn't even, even have had to publicly call the thing. Look, they just we love weren't willing to take the risk. Dictators. Hey, yeah. if you murder tens of thousands of people or disappear them, you're our friend. As long as you don't like commies. Right. Or Islamic terrorists. No. Right. Yeah. And even then, it might be okay, as long as you're okay with our business interests. Well, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Rock Hudson got no special treatment from the Reagan White House. Sure. Uh, on July 25th, 1985, Hudson announced that he had AIDS. This also served as his first public announcement that he was a homosexual. Paul Bonberg of the Mobilization Against AIDS campaign begged President Reagan to speak up. Surely, now that a man who had been his friend for decades had the disease, the president would finally do something. By the way, that's kind of on Rock. Also, for still being friends with with him. Maybe they were fun at parties. I never got to drink with Ronald Reagan. I don't know. All of my family members, I mean, none of my family members, but like family friends that voted for Trump, I have cut out of my life. Certainly none of my friends ever did. But like, it's pretty easy to cut out the, the pieces of shit in your life. I think this was an age before that really happened in politics. Because even if you're talking about like, it's not like the gay community had a lot of play in the Democratic Party in 1985, right? This was the first life and death political issue other than just discrimination and whatnot and the deaths that result from that for gay people. And it was the first one where there was a clear difference between the Republicans and Democrats. Because if you're talking about like the deaths that result from social isolation and discrimination, I don't really think the Democrats in 85 are much better than the Republicans. But if you talk about AIDS, the Democrats are directly dealing with AIDS. They're holding their convention in San Francisco. They're making a march part of it. They're taking some actions. This is the first time where it becomes a life and death thing. Um, Who knows what Rock would have done if he'd lasted another couple of years, but he died very soon after this. On September 17th of 1985, the same year Rock was sick, a couple of months after he made his announcement, Ronald Reagan finally, for the very first time, said the word AIDS in public. Oh! Yeah! Well! (laughs) Ronnie! Finally! (laughs) The great communicator made a surprise visit to the Department of Health and Human Services and said, quote, One of our highest public health priorities is going to be continuing to find a cure for AIDS. He announced that C. Everett Koop, the Surgeon General, was being pulled in to write a report on the disease. 
Hudson's death changed the national conversation about AIDS. He is This is seen as like the major dividing point in the national attitudes towards AIDS. A lot of people say there is AIDS before and after Rock Hudson comes out about it. Um, it is like the equivalent if there was some weird disease in a marginalized community and then fucking George Clooney dies of it. Like it, it catalyzed the nation and the world because he was a big star. President Reagan finally acknowledged the disease's existence, but he still had not actually addressed the American people about AIDS. So he'd never given a speech about it. He'd never talked about it in any other context. 5,636 Americans died of AIDS in 1985. What's One, the grand total so far? Uh, I think we're going to get to that in a second. Um, one of them was Rock Hudson. Um, so we're, we're definitely above 10,000, like 15, 14, 13, 14,000, something like that right now. Rock Hudson died on October 2nd, just a few months after coming out. Ronald Reagan kept quiet about his homosexuality, and the advocate named Reagan homophobe of the year that year. Representative Henry Waxman from Los Angeles said this, It is surprising that the president could remain silent as 6,000 Americans died, that he could fail to acknowledge the epidemic's existence. Perhaps his staff felt he had to, since many of his new right supporters have raised money by campaigning against homosexuals. President Reagan continued to not address the nation about AIDS in 1986, as another 16,301 Americans died from the disease. That year Transformers the movie came out? It might be. might be. Optimus Prime kept quiet, too. He's just not to, blameless. Just to give you guys a, you know, some context. Megatron donated a lot of money. Well, Galvatron at that point. Was it? I don't, I don't <laughs> actually know anything about Transformers. Um... That year, 1986, was the year that 21,000 total Americans had died. That was the total at the end of 1986. Do you think Reagan sent a representative to the advocate to collect his homophobe of the year award? Oh, I hope so. I mean, you really want that that trophy. On his, um, on his mantle? Yeah. So 21,000 deaths into the AIDS crisis. Dr. Conant, that, uh, one of the first doctors to treat it, sent a letter to Ronald Reagan. He recalled its contents to The Guardian. Dear President Reagan, I have all these patients and they are dying and no one's doing anything. It is incumbent on your administration to direct the Centers for Disease Control and National Institutes of Health to begin efforts to find the cause and treatment for this disease. Now, the Reagans responded to this letter. It said... Fuck off. (laughs) No, no, no. It just said, Nancy and I thank you for your support. You got a form letter. Yeah. 21,000 Americans dead. Uh, Which is, I think, more than the total Americans who have died in the entire global war on terror. So, yeah. That's uh, that's where we are. Um, that's where we are at the end of part one of this episode. It is 1986. 21,000 Americans have died. Ronald Reagan has said the word AIDS once and not in a public speech. So that's where we are. Uh, when we come back for part two, we're going to talk about Reagan's eventual acknowledgement of the epidemic. And we're also going to talk about one of the AIDS crisis's unlikeliest heroes, a Surgeon General with a ridiculous name, C. Everett Koop. C. Everett Co-op. He's actually does the right thing in this. But uh, yeah, that's all coming up. Uh, so that's the end of part one. Do you want to plug some pluggables before we get into that? Oh, well, uh, subscribe to Couples Therapy. Uh, if you want to hear me talk about politics in India. Actually, we don't talk about politics at all. It's a uh, thing we try to offer you some respite from this nightmare. And then my dear love, Naomi, who is the, uh, I'm the weirdo. She's the populist. <laughs> So let's get some, uh, take some respite from the madness uh, over the next day or two. And on Thursday, uh, Andy and I will be back. It just makes me want to vomit. Yeah. (laughs) Hearing all of this. We will continue to make Andy want to vomit. So that's part two, the vomiting. We've got a cup here on the table. I think it's about one vomit's worth of cup. So we'll be fine. See, we'll see how much 
comes out of me. Until Thursday, uh, and until we all learn how much comes out of Andy, I am Robert Evans. This is Behind the Bastard. You can find me on Twitter at IWriteOkay. I have a book on Amazon, A Brief History of Vice. You can also find this podcast on the internet, BehindTheBastards.com. We'll have pictures and sources up there. You can find us on uh, uh, social media, at BastardsPod, on Twitter and Instagram. So come and check us out, and uh, come back Thursday to learn more about AIDS and Ronald Reagan. Well, it's time for you to go now. I love about 40% of you. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.